Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. He made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. And so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt in six. We began reading here in the midst of a story that we need to back up a little bit to get the, the context of which I want to speak this evening on the subject of easy religion. Easy religion. Solomon, in his latter days, became somewhat wayward in his faithfulness unto the Lord to the point that he did things that were displeasing to the Lord. Back in the 11th chapter, you'll find some of those things. I'm not going to read them, but you'll find part of it, at least a comment to the effect in the 4th verse, the 11th chapter, that uh, when he was old, that he turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect unto the Lord his God. And as a result of this, the Lord said that he would take away ten of the tribes of the Hebrew people from his kingdom. And the story leads up to the point that we are at this evening. When the prophet told a man the name of Jeroboam, who was one of the captains in Solomon's army, that he would give ten of these tribes to him. And when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And Jeroboam, who had gone away in exile, returned to Israel. And the people gathered around Jeroboam, and they together went with Jeroboam as the spokesman to the new king Rehoboam. And if you talk about tongue twisters, I get Jeroboam and Rehoboam all twisted up. So if I get them mixed up, you know which one's which, I hope. Uh, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Jeroboam is the uh, military man that has been in exile and has come back to go before the new king and asked for some relief from taxes. For Solomon had been quite heavy in his tax collecting. And they said unto Rehoboam, If you will relieve us and not tax us as heavy as your father, we will follow you. But if you won't, then you're probably in for trouble. Those are my words, and you will find them exactly that way in the scripture. Rehoboam said, give me three days, and I'll think about it. And so he took three days, and he asked the old men of, the, of his counselors what they ought to do, and they said, you ought to relax the taxation. He asked his young counselors, and they said, you ought to get tougher yet. Rehoboam, being a young man and not willing to take the advice of some wise old heads, followed the advice of his young counselors, and he said then, to the people when they came back before him in three days, it's going to be worse than you've ever seen it. And as a result of that, 
ten of the tribes began to follow Jeroboam, and they separated themselves from Rehoboam, and Rehoboam only had the southern kingdoms, and Jeroboam was king of the north. But all the people still had to go to the south of Jerusalem where the temple was. Jeroboam began to think, now if they continue to go down there to Jerusalem to worship, it isn't going to be long that they're going to quit following me as king and go back to the old kingdom with Rehoboam. So I'm going to have to do something about this. So he devised a plan. He, he asked some counsel, and the counsel said to him, you ought to make some gods and put them here in our kingdom and have the people worship here. So that's exactly what he did. He made two calves of gold, similar to the calf that was made when the Israelites came out of Egypt, and he put one in Bethel, and he put another one in Dan. And he said to the people, now it's too difficult for you to go to Jerusalem to worship. So we've made it easy. We've put a god in Bethel and another god in Dan, and you go to these gods and worship. And that sounds like a nice thing to do. Easy religion. Go the easy way. So the people went to Bethel and they went to Dan and there they made their sacrifices and worshipped these idols that Jeroboam had set up. And in the 30th verse of the chapter we read, the scripture says, and this thing became a sin. Their worship became a sin. That seems like a harsh thing to say that someone's worship was sin. But in this case, and I believe in many cases today, that worship can and does become a sin. Because what, sin, what true worship is, is different than coming to, a or to an idol and making sacrifices such as they had done. The Lord gave them the formula for true worship back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 and 13, and he said this, Now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I have commanded thee this day for thy good. That's true worship. What does the Lord require? This is the question we need to ask ourselves, not what do we think is the right way to go, or what is it that we ought to do, or what is the easy way out, what is our concept of worship of God, but what does the Lord require? And so their religion became a sin. In the book of Amos, the Lord said to the people, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings, I will not accept them. This, he was talking about, was worship. They came to their assemblies and they made their feasts and they did all of those things that they felt was worship. And the Lord responds, I hate your assemblies. I despise your sacrifices. I will not smell them. I will not accept them. I will reject them. The people wanted it easy. And the Lord said, I cannot accept this. 
Now, those of you in business know that one of the things that we have to do in today's society to get people to come to our business is make it easy. That's why the malls have come to be such a great thing, because we've got to have ease of parking, and I think the, that that's fine and we ought to have it. But everything that is done in business has got to be thought in the mind in some way or other to make it convenient and easy for people to have access to what you offer. And there's nothing wrong with that in business. But we carry it to the extremes. We don't want to eat a balanced diet, so the pharmacists have come up with vitamin pills that we can take to overcome our laziness in our dietary procedures, and perhaps that's fine. I don't have any objections to it, but I suspect that if there were some way that somebody would devise a pill that would give us religion, that we would take it. We want it in pill form, something easy to swallow that will give us all that we look for without having to go through any of the agonies or the turmoils of acquiring that which we call religion. We want it easy. Let me suggest a few things about easy religion. The first thing that I think that we need to suggest is that that easy religion does not come from the Lord. It does not come from the Lord. Jeroboam devised a method of making it easy for the people to worship. He said it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Let's make it easy. I have difficulty accepting drive-in church services. They might be all right, and I'm not sure that I can fully oppose them. But I have some difficulties with that. They advertise that you can come as you are, and therefore in the summertime it's, you can throw on your swimming suit and run by the drive-in church and listen to a sermon and go on to the pool. And I don't have anything wrong with the pool or the swimming suits, but I have a little bit of trouble accepting that as a method of worship. And maybe you have done it, and maybe it's all right. And I'll not criticize you if you do. But I have a little bit of difficulty believing that, that that's completely of the Lord. It doesn't at least fit my concept that maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned along that line. I believe that there are some things that we put into what we call worship that the Lord would not accept. I use that one illustration only as an illustration. There are many things that perhaps we even do within our own services that would not be acceptable in the Lord's sight. So sometimes those things that are so easy to do may be something that the Lord would reject in his way of worship. So we need to be careful what we do as to whether it's of the Lord. I believe that many things that are easy are hypocritical. Hypocritical. Look what he did, Jeroboam did in the 28th verse. He said, Behold thy gods that brought thee out of Egypt. Now these golden calves that he made and put in Bethel and in Dan 
did not bring them out of Egypt. They have slipped back in to worshiping the pagan god like they did on that time when Moses went into the mountain. And when he came back, they thought he wasn't coming back. But when he came back, he found them worshiping the golden calf. That was something easy, but it was the wrong God. Perhaps he would say to us at times, I hate, I despise your worship services. And I won't be present in them. I'm not saying that he has done that with us, with you in the past or with you in the future of any church that I've been in, but I am suggesting that all church services are not acceptable to God. And simply because a church opens its doors and says it has a service doesn't make that an act of worship. True worship will come from the heart. And I have suggested to churches at times that it would be better off if they ceased to exist. And I don't get too far with that suggestion. But our purpose in, of being a church has got to be recognized and be careful that we do not become hypocritical in that which we do and we simply give lip service when it is heart service that the Lord wants. There is an old spiritual that we sing at times, give me that old time religion. And we say it was good enough for our fathers and so on, and it's good enough for me, and I believe that still stands. Now, we may change our modes. And this is sometimes what we're talking about when we talk about the old-time religion, is how people got there and what they did when they got there. Uh, folks used to come to church on horseback, and I didn't see any of you coming to church on horseback tonight. So does that mean you don't have the old-time religion? No, that's not what it means. We're talking about belief in the basics of the scripture, in the doctrines of the Bible that give us the same beliefs that our fathers and our forefathers had that have not changed over the years. The gospel does not change. Our mode of presenting it, our methods, our buildings, our mechanisms certainly will change and certainly they ought to change and keep up with the times. And we ought not put our religion in the horse and buggy days when our livelihood has, has gone into the space age. We ought to keep up with the times as far as our methods are concerned. But we should not be changing the doctrine of the church. The old-time religion is still the basis of our belief. But yet we have so many people who are wanting to change it. The doctrine of the virgin birth is not believed by everyone. I'm sure you know that. That is an unchangeable fact of the scripture that we believe, but yet we have many churches who are veering away from that and many preachers who are beginning to teach and have for now some time beginning to teach that Christ was not born of a virgin. And I believe when that is taught and preached that the Lord is going to say, I hate and I despise your assemblies. We've got to stay to the basics of the scripture. One of the other things I believe that happens oftentimes and is portrayed here in this scripture is that, that uh, people begin to use 
substandard preachers. Now hear me out on this and don't get carried away here before you know what I'm saying. When Jeroboam pulled away the ten tribes of Israel, the priests all went to the southern kingdom and he discovered that he didn't have any priests. He didn't have anybody to carry on the worship services. So he went out amongst the people and the 31st verse and tells us what he did. And he made priests of the lowest of the people which were not the sons of Levi. Sons of Levi were the priestly group. He went out and whoever he could convince to preach what he wanted preached, he made them a priest. This was not very acceptable to the Lord. Back in 2 Timothy, and this was referred to Tuesday night or Wednesday night in our prayer service. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first four verses, Paul's charge to Timothy, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And here's what I want you to notice. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, we are living in a time when people, does, when people do not want to listen to sound doctrine. And because of that, this is the rest of what he says, but after their old lusts shall they heap to them teachers having itching ears. Now, it's not the teachers that have itching ears, it's the people who are listening that have the itching ears. People have itching ears because they want to hear it preached like they want to believe it. I heard of a fellow who was being hired to teach school. And the question in that time was, uh, how do you teach evolution? And there was a big difference of opinion, and that's coming back into prominence now, the discussion of evolution, how it ought to be taught. So there was a division amongst people as to how evolution ought to be taught, whether it was taught as evolution per se from Darwin's theory or whether it was to be taught that God created the world. And this man answered the school board when they asked him, how do you teach evolution? And he said, I'm prepared to teach it just however you want it taught. I remember sitting in the congregation of a Baptist preacher who did that very thing who said he was prepared to preach it however they wanted it preached. And at the end of his sermon, he would say, Now, if I have said anything that upset any of you or disturbed any of you, I'm sorry. I just couldn't stand that too long. Fortunately, I was a student at the time and wasn't too long to be part of that church and, and was able to move on. We have lots of preachers on television and on radio, particularly today, that you're going to have to be careful of what you hear. Sift them carefully. And I have criticized more than one time people of a church congregation financially supporting a television ministry when they were supporting something contrary to what that church believed and taught. And certainly the individual 
should have not adhered to some of that. Watch what you listen to, particularly you young people when it comes to music. Some of it is Satan worship. Turn it off. You are positing your mind with some of the things that you hear on the radio and on television. It is of Satan himself. sermon and I've got time for it. I was pausing trying to figure out where to cut in and, and cut some of it out. So when I prepare my sermons, I don't prepare them for length. I just prepare them for content and I hope they fit the length I've got. And listen, I'm going to work tonight. Let me jump then to a second point. And I will have to hurry because of the, of the time. What causes easy religion? Well, in the case of Jeroboam, it was his own self-desires. He said, if I don't keep these, stop these people from going to Jerusalem to worship, they're going to leave me. They're going to leave me. And I'm not going to have any people. He had his own self-interests, his own throne that he needed to to look about. Oft times it becomes a very selfish reason as to why we do what we do. There's more I'd say, but I'll, I'll jump on. I think a more interesting reason, however, is that sometimes easy religion is less demanding. Less demanding. People belong to a church for various reasons. But if you go out and make a survey, as we were talking this morning, you'll find that most people believe they belong to a church. And probably they do. They have a church affiliation of some sort by direct membership or by association with somebody who belongs to church, and therefore they feel like they belong. It's difficult to find a person who doesn't belong to a church. And what does that mean? They believe that this is religion. And I'm using the term religion here in, in the sense of, of Christianity uh, in most cases. They believe they're Christian because their family is Christian and because they belong to a church. I asked a young man one time after a service if he were a Christian. And he said yes. But the question bothered him, and he went home and talked to his mother. And he was was not uh, a member of that particular church. In fact, he'd grown up in another denomination. And he said to his mother, the preacher asked me this morning if I were a Christian, and he said, I told him yes. And he said, I guess I am. I was baptized when I was a baby. This is easy religion to be affiliated with some organization because of some act of baptism or some other affiliation. We're not interested, I hope, in church membership. And sometimes we equate belonging to the church 
and accepting Christ as Savior as identical and they're different. Oftentimes people will respond after a church service and say so-and-so joined the church this morning when they really meant to say so-and-so accepted Christ. There's a difference. It doesn't matter whether you are a member of the church or not, but it does matter eternally whether you have accepted Jesus Christ. Let me jump again to this third point. I want to talk about the cost of easy religion. Easy religion leads to, to weakness. Those of you who do your aerobics exercises, and women who do those, after you haven't done them for a while and you start back, you, you discover you've got some sore muscles, don't you? And you know, the thing that you realize is that you're going to have to build up those muscles again. As soon as spring comes and I get out a little bit and, and start doing a little running or or some extensive walking, I'm going to discover that my muscles are sore because I haven't used very many of them all winter. The same thing happens spiritually. If we don't exercise, if it's so easy that we don't have to do anything, the day is going to come when we want to call upon our religion to assist us, and we're going to discover that we're so weak that it can't help us a bit. I remember a story I read of Booth, found in the Salvation Army, who told us of one of the girls that he had in his army, who went to the home of a family. The family did not believe in God, they said, in Christ at all, of course. The son was dying. He was on his deathbed, and as the girl got to the door, she was ready to knock, when she heard some voices inside, and she heard the father saying to the son, Hold on, son, hold on. And she heard the son reply, But I have nothing to hold on to. If you don't exercise your religion and put it against great odds, you may discover the day coming when the faith that you have has not been exercised, therefore it's so weak that it can't sustain you in the time of great need. We have got to exercise easy religion will lead to weak faith, and weak faith will not be what we want in times of great uh, adversity. This weak religion cost the life of this nation. It was divided. It was divided. The ten tribes and two tribes, and the ten tribes were lost to history because of one man's belief that he ought to take the easy way out and provide them an easy method of worship. Two hundred years later, Pekahiah was the king, the seventeenth king in this line of the northern kingdom. And 2 Kings says, listen to him, and he did that which was evil in the sight of Jehovah. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, wherein he had made Israel to sin. Two hundred years later, every king had been evil. They departed not from the evil started by Jeroboam. 
What's the cure for easy religion? First of all, the cure is conversion to Jesus Christ. To accept him as Lord and Savior. Without that, one has no religion at all that has any meaning or have any lasting effect. There must be a conversion to Jesus Christ. And secondly, for those of us who are Christian, there must be a return to the basic doctrines of the Scripture. The belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life from his virgin birth to his miraculous resurrection. All in between. Let me close with this one statement. A Methodist bishop some years ago got off a train in a little town and he saw just one person on the platform so he went over to the person and he said to this individual say does anyone here enjoy religion and the man answered them that has it does are you enjoying your religion Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.